All right, so what we'll go ahead and do is we'll go ahead and get started. So, hey, to everyone on Facebook, uh, welcome to this week's, uh, I guess, this uh, bi our bi-monthly meeting of CRE 101. Uh, always great to see everyone and, and make sure, just, just check in and see how everyone's doing. Uh, today we have Paul Grisanti, who's actually my broker uh, with the Grisanti Group. He has a ton of experience in the commercial zoning process, which we'll get into in, in a little bit, but um, so I think it's going to be a really insightful uh, meeting. Uh, so yeah, welcome, Paul. Excited to have you. Thank you. All right. So just to start off, what we generally do is we have some preset questions that I'm going to ask you and kind of walk through, and then at the end we'll open it up to Q and A. And what I'll be doing is I'll we'll we'll be checking the chat box uh, in Zoom, and then also if you're for those of you guys who are on Facebook, uh, just feel free to comment on the on the live link, and I will be sure to ask the questions at the end of the meeting. So. Uh, so just generally speaking, when we start off these meetings, we like to ask the person that, that, that comes in uh, to tell us a little bit about themselves, like what got them into the career field that they're in. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of give us a brief overview of who you are and, and what you do. All right. Well, I was uh, in the restaurant business for about 30 years before I jumped into commercial real estate. And uh, I got into the restaurant business uh, it was a family business. I had really, my, when I was in high school and college, I really didn't, uh, well, high school, uh, I had no intention of getting in the restaurant business, but I did because my, you know, dad started a restaurant and I was there to help him out. So I always thought I wanted to do something else. And it, when I was in the restaurant, uh, we had people from all over the world actually come to the restaurant. So I got to talk to a lot of professionals, doctors, attorneys, uh, engineers, uh, real estate brokers, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I decided when I wanted to make a career change at age 48, which is pretty late in life for most people to make a career change, I decided to get into real estate. I liked the legal aspects of real estate. My intent <clears throat> when I was in high school was to become a lawyer and that never happened. So I like the aspect of real estate because it has uh, legal issues, lots of contracts, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought I would have a good mind for that. Plus it, it um, did not require another four or six years of schooling to get into it like a law degree or something of that nature. So jumped into commercial real estate with both feet and uh, it was a tough, uh, tough couple of years at first, but then uh, it worked out and uh, it worked out well for me. So uh, anyway, that's my background. That's awesome. And then also, uh, which we'll get into during this meeting, I mean, you do have some experience as far as the zoning process is concerned because you served on uh, Bozer for a while as well, right? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got that opportunity? Well, uh, first I wanna say when I first got into real estate, I just happened to do a lot of land deals for whatever reason. And uh, a lot of the deals required rezoning because somebody would see a piece of land or I'd string a couple of uh, residential properties on a major artery. The very first place I started to work was Taylorsville Road because that was kind of my home base. That's where the restaurant was on Taylorsville Road. So I had a lot of listings on Taylorsville Road. And uh, so I started doing a couple on Taylorsville Road. Then people would call me and we'd string houses together and put it up for sale, uh, rezoning potential or commercial potential. And we did several of those deals. So I learned a little bit about the zoning process there. And to learn more about it, I attended a meeting one night. I just went to a random zoning hearing out at the Southwest uh, Government Center. And so I got up and asked several questions because I knew nothing about it, just wanted to educate myself. And one of the people on the board uh, recognized, or at least she thought that I asked some really good questions. So she recommended me to the mayor uh, to be put on the uh, board of zoning adjustment. So I accepted the appointment and that was after two years in real estate. And I sat on that board for eight years and then uh, I, I uh, eventually resigned. I could have stayed longer, but I resigned because it took a lot of time and uh, so I wanted to, uh, I thought eight years was enough, but I, I learned a lot about the process and it helped me tremendously. I wasn't on the 
the uh, zoning board, but I was on the board of zoning adjustment. So zoning adjustment is slightly different. And, uh, but I learned a lot about the zoning process through that uh, experience. That's great. Um, and we'll get into that process a little bit later, but so to start off, I mean, one of the big things we, we are probably all thinking is, is how does the, how does the zoning process work? So let's, let's maybe walk through the process from, you see a piece of property that you think could be good for X use. Um, okay. and then maybe that particular piece of property isn't zoned the way you need it to be zoned. How do you get from point A to point B? Well, the first thing is to have an idea, just like you said, you see a piece of property that's uniquely located. It's got good visibility, good access for retail, perhaps, or it has other attributes. If it's for maybe industrials in a good area next to roads. So every property is unique. That's one thing you have to remember about property is every property is unique. And you can have a property that's, you know, 500 yards away from another property and the price will be three times as much just because of the unique value of it. But on the zoning process, to stick to the zoning process, you have to have an idea of what you want to do with that property that you see is unique for a certain purpose. The very first thing you'd have to do is file a pre-application with the planning commission. And uh, with the pre-application, they'll give you some advice. Again, I'm not an attorney, so I want everybody to know that. This is just from my experience. This is what I know could be slightly different. Technically, technical details could be a little bit different, but You'd file a pre-application with the zoning board. Then you have to send out a notice to the neighborhood, all the first and second tier uh, property owners to the property that you want to get rezoned. So if there's like 10 properties around it that touch the property, you have to notify them. And then you got to notify the properties that touch the property that touch the property. So it's first and second tier property owners get notified and then you usually have a neighborhood meeting in the neighborhood where the property is affected. So it's easy for the people in the neighbor, in the neighborhood and the surrounding neighbors to get to the meetings usually held in the evening. And uh, so what, what one would do typically at those meetings, you would have an engineer there and an attorney there uh, the attorney would handle the legal aspects of it. The engineer would handle the technical aspects of it. And you just go over the plan and talk to the people in the neighborhood, tell them what you want to do and try to get feedback. Some properties are non-controversial. Sometimes nobody even shows up at a neighborhood meeting. If they don't care, usually when people don't care if something happens, they don't show up. If they are opposed, they will show up. So typically in the zoning process, the loudest voices are the ones that are against the project, typically, because they don't want it. But the ones that want it or don't care don't show up a lot of times. So after the neighborhood meeting, uh, then you'd get feedback. You might adjust your plan a little bit. Then you file a formal application. So the first thing you do with the zoning board or the planning and zoning uh, is to file a pre-app, then have a neighborhood meeting, then file a formal application. And when the formal application is filed, then the zoning board will send it out to all the various agencies. I think there's 11 agencies that have to comment on it. Think about it. You've got uh, the MSD, they're worried about drainage. You have the traffic uh, uh, commission, they're worried about traffic to the site. You have the fire department, they're worried about how we're gonna get in in case there's a fire. Uh, will our trucks make it down the road? Is the access good for the trucks? So you have all these various agencies that weigh in and they usually have several weeks to get back with comments. Then the uh, planning commission might uh, ask you to revise your plan to comply with all these. And then, um, so after all that's done, you may have to revise your plan, submit a uh, revised plan, uh, or you know, hone it down. And then when you're ready for the actual public hearing that goes before the zoning board, then that's a public open hearing. Everybody that was notified about the neighborhood hearing and any other interested party can show up at that public hearing. Nowadays, it's a little different because we're using Zoom, but before it used to be at, uh, down at uh, uh, 6th and Jefferson, the old jailhouse is where, where they had these hearings. 
So everybody would show up and, and uh, the, the staff person who talks about all the technical aspects of the case would make uh, a presentation. They make their presentation as to what the applicant wants and why and if it complies with all their standards. Then the applicant would get up and make a presentation and kind of go over in a little more detail what the staff person does. Then you'd have parties, uh, comments from um, anybody uh, that wants to talk or the, actually the opposition. You know, there might be somebody opposed that's represented by an attorney and they have a chance to get up. Then you have public comments. Anybody in the public can get up and say they're either for it or against it. And they usually organize it. Everybody that's in forward, everybody that's for, for the process or for the zoning gets up and speaks. Then you have people that are neither one way or the other. They just want to make comments. They might say, I'm not for it or against it, but I do want to point out. Then they might point out something that's relevant. And then you have the people that are opposed to it. And then the, uh, then the uh, person that's applying can get up and respond to the people that are opposed to it. And then usually the board goes in uh, you know, business session, open session, everybody can hear what they're talking about, but they don't take any more comments after that. And then they vote whether they should, uh, this zoning should be allowed. It's important to note that the actual uh, staff member has a recommendation. It either complies with all the uh, uh, guidelines or it does not. And they're gonna say, we recommend this be zoned or we rec recommend that it not be zoned based on this. Now, a lot of times the staff, well, all the time, the staff goes right by the book. They're tied into what the book says and what the guidelines say. Sometimes it makes no sense because things change over time, but they have to go by the book. Then uh, those that might want to go against what the planning uh, staff level says, they're either for it or against it. Usually if they say they're against it, then you have uh, a reason to, to, to refute that and state your changes why this should be allowed. And then, um, then the, the zoning board discusses it in open session, they discuss it and then they vote. And after the zoning, and I'm giving you a really high level, uh, it, it takes a lot longer than this to do it, but uh, they vote. Uh, and let's say they get a positive vote where it, it, it gets voted to be uh, rezoned. Then from that point, it has to go to Metro Council. So Metro Council has the final say and Metro Council, uh, the, the actual, uh, the representative for that area will influence the rest of the council because people in other parts of the county don't care about zoning in your part of the county. So if you really want the zoning, you indicate that to the rest of the 25 council members, please vote for this. But they have a first reading at the council, a first reading of the, of the rezoning, and then there's the discussion. And then there is a, a month later, they have a vote, either vote for or against. And then, uh, then there's uh, always uh, somebody that might want to file a lawsuit if they don't like if it got zoned or if it didn't get zoned. Uh, there's a, a, another appeal process. Uh, so the basic process is you have an idea, you uh, have a pre-application, you have a neighborhood meeting, formal application, zoning board, uh, then it goes to Metro Council, then it could be appealed through a legal process of a lawsuit. So those are all the uh, stages in a, in a nutshell. Definitely. And so, it, I mean, it is a pretty long and drawn out process. And I mean, typically, and, and obviously this, this obviously ranges in, in timelines, but do, can you give us an, an idea of what the typical timeline is for a rezoning? In particular, when I'm sure it's different if it's, if it's straightforward versus like very right. controversial. If it's a non-controversial rezoning, it could probably be done in four months because every time you submit, there's, there's, there's a timeline. There's only certain days of the week you could submit. And then after the submittal, then they send out like to the agencies and the agencies have a couple of weeks to respond. And then, there, then you have to set it up for another time that you could submit again. So it, you're, you're uh, it's not a fast process, but it's uh, really fast 
for a very non-controversial zoning is about four months. One that's uh, controversial, where you have a lot of neighborhood input, a lot of back and forth, it could take a year, sometimes two years, just depending on how many times you have to go back and revise the plan, how many, you might have more than one neighborhood meeting, just that there's a lot of opposition, you might try to quell the neighbor's uh, ang angst by revising your plan. So, uh, you know, it could take a year or two years to get through that, uh, but hopefully you get through it in a year. And then there could be a court um, process whereby a lawsuit could be filed, just like we are right now with Topgolf. That went through all the process. It got approved. Now there's a lawsuit. So it's pending. And I don't know if that's in the uh, Supreme Court, appellate court, or the regular court, it's in one of the jurisdictions. And um, so it's it's pending at this point. There, there's been a lawsuit filed. Very, a very few, a very small group of people do not want that. Uh, so they're the ones filing the lawsuit, uh, trying to hold that process up. That makes sense, yeah. And, and so throughout this particular process, um, what are some of the costs that need to be considered as you're going through the zoning process? Because I, I mean, you're like you were mentioning earlier, you may need an attorney, you may need an engineer. Like, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes, yes. Uh, I would say that uh, if you're going through the zoning process, at minimum, you need an engineer and an attorney and an architect. And the reason is an engineer will show what you're gonna do, what the site's gonna look like, what the building, where the building sits on the property, how you're going to handle the drainage, where the road's going to be, where the traffic's going to come in and out. Uh, so an engineer needs to design all that. Uh, then you have an attorney to answer the legal questions. Uh, now, for some, I've seen when I sat on Boza, there was some non-controversial cases where an engineer did the whole presentation and attorney was not used but that's only in a, a non-controversial case uh, is you just want to use an engineer. Then the architect is used to show the building, the elevations of the building, because the engineer just puts a footprint out. So you can see it, like if you're looking down on the site where the roadways are, where the building's going to be located and all that, but an architect could design a building and show the elevation so you can get a feel for what it's going to look like when it's developed. And that could certainly help your process if you have a great architect that makes a building uh, look really good. So, uh, and, and, and again, those fees are money well spent because if you try to do it on your own, you're, you would most likely fail. You don't know all the ins and the outs. You could ask or tell something that's totally irrelevant to the project that could hurt your cases of getting it zoned and not answer the questions that need to be answered. So if you don't answer the questions that need to be answered, it'll probably be denied. You have to have a good plan to go in that, and, and anticipate all the questions that are gonna be answered. Definitely, no. I mean, seeking expert advice is extremely crucial when you're, when you're going <clears throat> through the process of rezoning. Uh, so when, when people look at a piece of property, generally speaking, if, if you're if you're familiar with the zoning, how, how zoning works, um, you 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 may know whether or not this piece of land will function for your use. But can you tell us a little bit about where you can identify whether um, where you can see where these uses are laid out? So is there like a well, typically uh, zoning takes place in areas that perhaps have changed over time. Think about, uh, you know, like Bardstown Road, uh, years and years ago, there were a lot of homes, it's like out in the Glenmary area, south of the Snyder Freeway and just north of the freeway. A lot of homes were right on Bardstown Road because Bardstown Road at one time, I remember this, I'll, uh, I'll tell you my age, because uh, I lived in that area and the road was two lanes, one going north and one going south. Uh, and then I was a young child, they expanded it and then they expanded it again. But at one time, people would pull off of Barstown Road right into their driveway. 
Well, the traffic increased and increased and increased over time. The Jefferson uh, or the Snyder Freeway was built. And, uh, you know, so changes. Uh, whenever you get a change in an area, typically due to traffic, then the nature changes. Uh, you know, how could you imagine a single family house being on Barstown Road that's now six or seven lanes wide with the turn lane? So it'd be hard to back out of your driveway. So that the nature changes, so it's good for redevelopment. And when there's a lot of people in the area, uh, you need services. It's typically retail services. Sometimes it's industrial. Uh, so certain areas are ripe for industrial development. A big area is chosen. It's out of the way. It's away from houses, but it's got a lot of road infrastructure. So this area, somebody might look at it and say, this is great for industrial development, just like Blankenbaker Station or East Point. Those are, uh, you know, more of a planned development uh, for industry and they have regulations on what the buildings need to look like. Uh, there's other industrial uh, areas in town like Riverport plan specifically for uh, manufacturing uh, distribution. So uh, anyway, different areas of town lend themselves to different things. Certainly you wouldn't go in the middle of a subdivision and say, oh, I'd like this to be industrial. I'm going to buy up all these houses. I mean, it wouldn't make economic sense. You have a nice subdivision that tear down a lot of nice houses to do that. But the airport needed to expand years ago and there were a lot of houses all around the airport and they were, they were hamstrung, hamstrung. They could not expand the airport and UPS came to town. So that's a big economic driver in our town is UPS. So the city took it upon themselves to buy up the neighborhoods. They bought whole neighborhoods and they built new neighborhoods. So people would get paid for their house and then can buy a house in a new neighborhood. So um, anyway, so things like that happen. Uh, times change and the nature of uh, the neighborhood or the area changes. So then it's, when that happens, uh, then it's, it's ripe for an, another use. And then that's when the zoning process comes in. That's awesome. So as far as the, the different types of zoning, <coughs> Are, are prices dictated based on what type of zoning it is? How, and then can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes, typ typically, uh, let, I'm going to talk pre-COVID because we don't know the full effects of COVID yet. Uh, but I think this will hold true even after COVID, after we give a chance to work its way out and we get a vaccine and all that. But uh, typically, the highest prices for property are retail because retail is driven uh, by traffic. So the higher visibility and the more traffic, the more sales, the more sales, the higher you can pay for a property. Now, th there's also in downtown Louisville, Central Business District, there, um, there's other factors. Might not be retail, but it could be an arena that uh, everybody wants. So you're going to pay top dollar to have the exact location that you want next to the river looking at the city. So again, top dollar for that, top dollar for uh, uh, retail. Uh, the, the lesser prices would be for like large tracts of land for a subdivision. Um, uh, industrial property is typically less, but again, it, it depends. I could say the general, uh, if you were gonna put a blanket over it, the highest price you're gonna pay is, is a retail. Uh, for a retail use because if one has high traffic, great access to get in and out of the property, easy access to get in and out of the property and high traffic and great visibility, that's going to draw a lot of people there. And if a lot of people are drawn to a certain area, then the sales are higher. And if the sales are higher, you can pay more, okay, for the land and do your development. Uh, so then it would go down from there, from retail uh, sometimes uh, industrial property and price and the housing, you know, attracts for housing or priced similarly, but uh, obviously you're not going to put an industrial tract 
uh, inside a track that's already uh, subdivision and you would never want to put a subdivision inside a track that's industrial. They, they're not compatible. The other thing about zoning that should be noted is, and this is in the regs, that wherever uh, property is zoned, there is a graduation of uses. Like if you have a single family housing use, then maybe next to that could be a multifamily housing use. And next to that, maybe an office use. And next to that, maybe a retail use. And next to that, maybe an industrial use. So uh, it, it's a gradual change of use that is not too different from what's there, but it's more compatible. Just think of you're living in a house and you have an industrial plant right next to you. That wouldn't be too good. But if you're living in a house and you have a multifamily ha uh, house next to you, that's not bad. It's still, it's still somebody living there. Then multifamily might be next to an office and an office might be next to a retail. Then retail might be uh, you know, next to an industrial. So there's these gradual uses and that's designed by plan. There's also rural, rural use like agricultural use or rural residential where it's more of a land type that's uh, more of a natural setting uh, that uh, fits the area better that you wouldn't you wouldn't have a, uh, you know necessarily an office setting in a in a bucolic uh, rural setting necessarily but an offices got have to be near services too so you got to think about the whole process but the real reason zoning was established is to maintain property values if you bought a big, beautiful house on a nice piece of land, you're zoned a certain way and you don't want an industrial plant coming next to you, typically. So that's why the zoning process is arduous and tedious a lot of times. So everybody has a chance to comment and we make daggone sure that the use of the land is compatible with the surroundings. And it's just a better method. So it, it takes a while, that's by design. And they have these layers of, uh, of, of uses that are compatible to the land. And that, that keeps the values high. Because if you're, you know, just think if you're in a house, you'd want the house, you know, the person next to you to be in a, have a house and not necessarily an industrial plant. Good point. No, that's great. Some great information. So just to go back a little bit, uh, so we've, we've kind of explained how to go through this, the commercial zoning process. Um, we've talked about the different uses of zoning and, and we've also talked about how zoning affects property values. Now, in your specific case, you were on the BOZA board. Um, right. So what was the role on the BOZA board and how does it affect, I guess, the zoning? zoning okay, the BOZA stands for Board of Zoning Adjustment. So there are certain characters in the zoning process where uh, there might be rules and regulations saying that, okay, if you are a retail property and you're butted up against an office property, there's a certain setback. So if there's two office properties, the setback might be 10 feet on each property. So it's 20 feet between buildings. But if you're an office, butting up against retail, uh, the retail might need to be set back 30 feet or 20 feet versus just 10 feet. So they usually, the, the, the more the difference, when you go from one zoning to the next, the zoning that's more obnoxious in the, in the, in the uh, view of the board uh, has to have a further setback, all right? So there are setbacks or other regulations or all these technical details. Like nowadays, they want connectivity. So if you're going to build a retail center on a busy highway, the planning commission wants there to be some connectivity between you and the neighbors. So somebody doesn't have to pull out on the road, go down 10 feet and pull back into the property. So they will force you to connect your parking lot to the next parking lot on the interior versus getting on the road and driving. So that's a, that's a regulation. They also have sidewalk regulations. They want people to walk more. Uh, they want people to be able to walk from place to place. So there's sidewalks. So the Board of Zoning Adjustment takes care of variances, 
takes care of waivers and also takes care of conditional use permits. I'm gonna give you an example of each one. A variance, when I first indicated, maybe there is a 20 foot setback requirement for the building, but uh, because of different zoning types. So in order to get your plan to work and to make it economic feasible, economically feasible, you say, I can't live with a 20 foot setback. I need a 10 foot setback. And maybe, you know, the, the, the board of zoning adjustment will look at that and see if your justification is, uh, is good enough. Now it could be, you could own property that's uh, maybe zoned retail and maybe zoned for office. And there's a requirement that the, the setbacks be different for those retail and office, but you're gonna put office on all of it and you own both properties. So why do you even have to comply with that setback? So you say, hey, I own both of them. I don't care, I'm building office on both. So you would probably get a, a variance and, and they would allow you to move it from uh, 20 to 10. The waiver, uh, the most memorable, well, there's all kinds of waivers, but one of them that sticks in my mind is there was a property being constructed and in front of the property, there was a requirement for a sidewalk, but the sidewalk would have gone right to an expressway and nobody's gonna walk across the expressway or walk on the expressway. So why do you need a sidewalk that dead ends to an expressway? So they asked for a waiver of that requirement. And so it was just eliminated, it was a waiver. So a variance means changing the requirement to some other degree. A waiver means getting rid of it altogether. Uh, the next one is the conditional use permit. Uh, the most notable conditional use permits are like a restaurant can be in a C1 zoning, uh, but not with the C1 zoning serve alcohol outdoors. They can serve alcohol indoors, but not have outdoor alcohol sales. So if that restaurant would apply and get a conditional use permit for outdoor alcohol sales, it could do it within a C1 zoning. It really takes a C2 zoning, which is a step higher than C1, to have that automatically granted. Uh, same way like self-storage. Self-storage is in, is in like M1, M2, PEC, but you could also put self-storage in, in C2 zoning with a conditional use permit. So it's another layer of protection that you would have to come through the board, have a public hearing, let people see what you wanna do, and then it may or may not be granted, but that's uh, uh, what a conditional use permit is. So there's three things that we generally handle in on the board of zoning adjustment, variances, waivers, and conditional use permits. Awesome, and, and I will clarify for the audience that the zoning types that he referenced are Jefferson County zoning, correct? That, that yep. is true, yeah. Every municipality has their different zoning. Some are B1, B2 for business. In Louisville, it's known as C1, C2, it's commercial. Basically means the same thing, but you gotta know the area that you're in. Like every county has its different language. Definitely. Uh, I just wanted to make the, make the clarification, but I will say, so it's one question that I had for you is, when would this route be better than completely rezoning the property? So for example, if you're a restaurant owner and you wanna serve alcohol outside, would it behoove you to just change to C2, for example, or would it be just better for you? Well, it's, it's it's certainly much easier to get a conditional use permit than it is to go through the rezoning. It's a lot shorter process. Uh, BOZA, you would, you would file your plan with BOZA. Notices would be sent out. You do not have to have neighborhood meetings for a BOZA application. And uh, there is a public hearing but the, but the decision by BOZA doesn't have to go to Metro Council to get voted on. Once a decision's made, it's final. Now it's still subject to a lawsuit if somebody wanted to contest it for whatever reason, uh, but it's a lot shorter process. So typically uh, getting, a, you can get a conditional use permit for your property. It's a lot less expensive, a lot less time consuming to get a conditional use permit than it is to go through a full zoning process. Awesome. Yeah, Good question. Yeah, it's just important to make that clarification, but awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've learned a ton about the zoning process in particular here in Louisville, Kentucky, but as far as maybe, could you provide three pieces of advice that you'd give someone about 
taking on the process of rezoning a property. Let's say they want to buy a piece of land and they're really interested in developing it to fit a certain use, but they need to go through that process. Can you provide some, maybe three pieces of advice? Well, the three, the three most important pieces of advice I could give someone is number one, be patient. It takes time. You got to be patient. Number two, you got to have enough money to get through the process. And number three, hire the right experts, architects, engineers, attorneys, to walk through the process. It's it, it, especially if it's a controversial zone, you will never get it done on your own. There's, you just, you just cannot know enough by yourself to get it done. You have to have the experts to do it. So, so time and patience, that's the same, that's the same element, time and patience, money and experts. Awesome. Well, thanks again for all that's really great information. So, well, we'll go ahead and head, we'll, what we'll go ahead and do now is we'll open it up uh, for questions. Uh, I, I am here on Facebook as well. So if you guys that are watching on Facebook feel like you have a question regarding the commercial zoning process, we'll give you a minute or two to uh, provide some, some feedback. So anyone here as well on Zoom, if you have any questions or maybe you have any projects you're working on that you have a question about, feel free to respond. I would like to comment. I think you asked some very uh, good questions. Get to the bottom line, Raphael. So you did a great job of identifying the areas uh, of most importance in the whole process and to ask really good questions. And thanks for clapping, Renee. I see that. Yeah, I mean, I feel, and, and this is something that I'm relatively new to as well. I mean, I haven't really gone through the zone rezoning process, but it's it is one of those things that is is such so integral to the growth of a city. So being able to understand it and, and being able to walk through the process um, is, I mean, is crucial, especially if you're going to be one of those people that want to get out there and, and create, be a new, provide new developments. Uh, so let's. We have one new question, Keith. Hey, Keith. How's it going? Uh, he, Paul was, uh, Paul, he's asking, are there any books, articles, or resources that you recommend for a broker uh, to have an understanding uh, of the, the zoning process itself? I mean, it is very regionally specific, but do you have any? Right. You know, that's a great question. I, I've never even uh, thought about that. Uh, there is a, uh, for Louisville, Metro, Jefferson County, and for all the counties in Kentucky, uh, if you go to the website, of the, of the county, it usually has the documents needed. Like we subscribe to Jefferson County, Bullock County, Oldham County, Nelson County, et cetera. And we can get right into, and, and the different counties have different degrees of uh, sophistication too. Louisville's really good. And if you go to um, Louisville, or you could go to louisville.kentucky.gov or something. I don't know what it is, but all you have to do is Google Louisville Metro Planning and Zoning, or Planning and Design is better, Louisville Metro Planning and Design, and you'll get to the link, and then it shows the entire book, and it shows everything you need to know. Now, it's very technically oriented, probably meant for attorneys and engineers, uh, but I, I have to admit, I've never read a book necessarily on zoning, and I bet somebody's got a book out there. Uh, so I, that's a great question, Keith. I wish I'd have uh, anticipated it. So I don't know. Definitely. And I, I think Keith, if I'm not mistaken, is tuning in from, is it Indy? I, I, I want to make sure. So, but in your case, if you're, if you're tuning in, not in Louisville specifically, uh, check out the Metro website for your corresponding um, place uh, and, and see if they have it. And m most Metro cities are going to have their code. So just, oh, Milwaukee. Awesome. So yeah, you're tuning in from Milwaukee. So uh, Metro, check out your the Milwaukee Metro government website. They should have some sort of uh, zoning code on uh, available. And I'd even give a call to the, the Metro, someone at the Metro government to see if they can provide you with any resources. I think that'd be great. Um, Here, uh, Raphael, I did write down the link. This, this Instead of Googling it, if somebody wants to go right to the zoning, it's louisville.gov forward slash government forward slash planning dash design. So it's louisville.gov forward slash government forward slash planning dash design. And that'll take you to the all the zoning regs. Awesome. So Krista is tuning in on Facebook. 
Hey, Krista. Um, so she was asking, is there a cost difference in the type of zoning change? So how does the, the, it? Yes, that's a great, that's a great question. The application fees to Louisville Metro are, are all the same. They're, they're, well, I shouldn't say that. The application fees vary depending on the size of development. But obviously, if you're doing a one-acre development versus a 500-acre development, you'd expect to pay more for the 500-acre development. Those are minuscule. Uh, when you compare those to the legal fees, to the engineering fees, and to the architecture fees, and the reason the engineering and the legal fees could be uh, various is the time. If you have a non-controversial zoning, you can get it done quickly and at low cost. If it's a long zoning, if it's, if it's very controversial, it's gonna be drawn out. The legal team has to plan more. It's gonna take more of their time. They have to have night meetings. They have to do a lot of documents. So again, the, the more difficult the zoning process is, the more it's gonna cost just because of the time involved and all the experts they have to put in. Definitely, for sure. Uh, so a question from Renee. Uh, she, was, she was asking, sometimes things around town seem pretty random. Do you have a brief history of the planning and zoning in Louisville? I mean, it's pretty high level, but maybe just provide your, your, your feedback on the history of Louisville and zoning. Well, uh, one thing that's interesting that most people probably don't know, way back in 19, I say way back, in the early 70s, there was a glitch and we had no zoning, uh, I think in 72 or 73, uh, our uh, authority lapsed for one day. So if you were using a property for a certain use back in like 1972, and that one day that glitch happened and now you're still using it today, you may not be zoned correctly but you're okay. It's called grandfathered in or non-conforming use rights. You have non-conforming use rights to continue to use that property for as long as you want for the non-allowed use because at one point in time, we had no zoning. So anything went. So you could have an industrial property in the middle of a neighborhood and you can continue to use it to this day as long as it's continuous. Now, if you stop using it, and it stopped for a certain period of time. Uh, there, there's some other technicality, which I'm not going to get into. But basically, uh, if you've changed the use, say you were using it for a in, little industrial plant, you're in the middle of Old Louisville. Old Louisville is a great example. Old Louisville uh, has some M2 zone properties down in there. In Old Louisville, where it's all the old houses. And there's M2 properties right up against these houses. And uh, you can continue to use it. Now, if you change that M2 use and made a residential use out of it, or if you took a fourplex and converted it to a single family house and wanted to convert it back to a fourplex, you can't do that. If you, if you had it as a fourplex and you continue to use it as a fourplex, you're grandfathered in, that's the common language, or non-conforming use rights you have to continue using it as a fourplex, even though you're surrounded by single family houses. Um, so that's just a little, little uh, quirk in our zoning code. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I, I own a fourplex in Old Louisville and that's the same thing that I was told. It said, when, when you buy the property as a fourplex, you can keep it as a fourplex, but if you were to ever convert it back to a single family home, you're essentially, you cannot convert it back to a multifamily. Um, right. And, and, I, and another thing that I was kind of curious about, this is more of my question. So obviously different cities have different objectives when it comes to how they want to see the this, this city grow, right? Mm -hmm. uh, just for, for example, um, in J-Town, they're, they're, they're making a big push along Taylorsville Road to essentially incentivize more retail and office and various other uses in that area. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about how, why that would be the case? Um, well, Yes, uh, that's a great question. J-Town, uh, at one point, they had a lot of automotive uses along the main road, automotive lots and whatnot. And uh, the city wants to make it more of an entertainment venue. 
So they want to encourage restaurants and bars and, and uh, retail versus the automotive use. So they put a blanket zoning over that whole area that once, if there was a, an automotive use, that automotive use would be allowed to stay. But once it goes away, then it's going to revert back to the new zoning, which is CTC, I think, CTC Tech. Uh, center town or something like I can't even think of the, what it's called. City but town center, city town center. I think it's what it's city called. town center. There you go, city town center. Uh, but but the city does this uh, to enhance the uh, the beauty because a restaurant or a a bar or you know some type of entertainment venue will bring people to the city uh, all times during the day where a a car lot maybe have a more of a negative view. It doesn't look as nice as maybe a nice uh, retail establishment. So there, and cities, uh, cities also do the other thing. They, they blanket zone industrial. J-Town's done this before. They've taken a large swath of property near the industrial park and put a blanket industrial zoning on it. So the people that were living there could stay there. Once they move out though, um, and stop using it for a home they could and it also enhances the value because they can probably get more for an industrial use from what they paid for the house years and years and years ago so they've done it in in an area where the houses are older and not worth as much they wouldn't do it to a new subdivision that the house are too priced too much because you couldn't get your value out of it Definitely. i appreciate and this that. is done in a lot of municipalities not just j-town but it's done uh, other places too, like the city of Louisville has a waterfront district and they have set, you know, CBD, central, you know, uh, central business district and, and uh, different uh, zonings like, you know, you never, you don't see a 30 story building out in the suburbs because it won't allow it. But downtown in the central business, this central business district, they have C3 zoning, which will allow skyscrapers, but they don't have that out in the suburbs. Okay, awesome. <clears throat> All right. So do, I was wondering, do we have any more questions for Paul related to the zoning process? Going once? Uh, yeah, yeah, Paul, just Baron Purefoy. Uh, what's your take on the Nulu area? Nulu? Yes. Well, uh, I remember Nulu as a kid, believe it or not. Uh, my dad used to have a restaurant downtown Louisville. And uh, Market Street was exactly that. It was a market. You had a fish market. You had a fruit market. You had, uh, you know, uh, well, there was a stock market that was a little bit away from that. But um, after a while, you know, every area changes, like we discussed earlier. Changes happen. That area became really uh, depressed. And those, those buildings were, the people in them moved out. They moved out east or they moved other places. And uh, the buildings were used for various uses. And then uh, over time, people thought, you know, the buildings may not look good, but this area is a great area. It's close to downtown Louisville. It's, it's just a little bit east of the central business district. Uh, so there was a push to renovate. So the market values have really gone up there in the last 10 years because somebody had the vision and the idea. And that's exactly what uh, is happening in the Portland area of Louisville now, way in the West End where the falls were. That was the original, you know, Louisville. That was a thriving, and it's a Portland. That's where the port was. That's where the ships came. Or not the ships, but the boats. Um, so there was a huge community down there. Uh, and over time, every community changes. You know, these beautiful homes, you know, the nature changes over time. There's some, uh, they, they let them run down, but now there's a revitalization. But to get back to your uh, point of the uh, Nulu, that's exactly what it is. It's they're revising the market area of, of uh, Louisville, New Louisville, New Louisville. Uh, so that there's quite a revitalization going on down there, and, it, and it's uh, a great location. So that's you know, locations, everything. Everybody knows in real estate, locations, everything. So uh, it, it was uh, depressed for a while and now it's roaring back. And, and there was also um, 
along Liberty Street, there was a lot of housing uh, that there's always a, there's always a catalyst to everything in zoning. Uh, Louisville, the, the hospital and the medical community really invested in downtown Louisville, but there wasn't any place for the doctors and the ancillary personnel to live down there. So Louisville bought up a lot of old housing uh, at, at a low rate and they built these beautiful new complexes so they could have the young professionals or professionals that not necessarily had to be young, but that's typically what they are, um, to move into this, the housing because the housing is all new. Nobody wanted to live in the old housing that was there. So things change over time and things get redeveloped. Uh, and I think, you know, if you don't keep, keep up with the uh, uh, maintenance on a property, it, as it goes down, it'll lose value. When it loses value, then it's time to tear it down and start over or re revise it. So, but Nulu is a great area of town in my estimation. Awesome. Great, great answer. Uh, so, uh, Brene, we'll, we'll, we'll do one more question just because we're kind of running up on time. But uh, this, this question comes from Renee, and she says, do you happen to know if planning and zoning has been plagued by issues similar to redlining? Uh, not to my knowledge. Um, yeah, I, I don't know of any issues that have ever come to light, uh, in my knowledge, for, yeah. you know, redlining that, you know, I don't know. Definitely. Don't know about it. Cool. Oh, any other questions that we have? <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to thank everyone for showing for for coming by. I mean, I, I think we learned a ton of great information about the commercial zoning process. Thanks again, Paul, for agreeing to speak and uh, provide some knowledge. Obviously, you're probably one of the most you're one of the foremost experts in the city in reality on this process. So I really think that uh, you provide some great insight. And this will be recorded as well. So for those of you who are uh, wanting to rewatch this at a later date, I will be uh, providing the video content as well. So thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you guys in a few weeks. Thank you, Raphael. Thanks for having me.